Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Paddler's Playbook, a kayak fishing experience. Brought to you by Mariner Sales, providing the largest selection of kayaks and kayak accessories since 1975. Real sportswear, get out on the water and wear what the guides wear. Galveston Redfish Series, the largest, most affordable redfish series on the Gulf Coast. Sign up today. Pure Fishing, home to the world's most trusted fishing brands. Now it's time to sit back, relax, and enjoy the paddle with your host, Drew Turner. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Podcast Land. I'm your host, Drew Turner, and this is another edition of the Paddler's Playbook, coming to you live from the Mariner Sales Studio. Guys, I got chastised a little bit from the last episode. I was told my intro and my monologue were too long. So this one isn't going to be very long. I'm going to keep it short. GRS Event 2, we sucked. Weather sucked. Wind sucked. Water clarity sucked. Water level sucked. It was not a good tournament at all. Uh, the close, well, I caught I caught one rat. Uh, my brother blanked. The rat I caught was, you know, going back to the launch. Um, blast ditch effort just to catch a fish. I did have a fish that almost went in my kayak. And by went in my kayak, I mean the water was so dirty, I ran him over. And we had to paddle because the water was so low. Splash water all in my drive hole. His tail came up and slapped me. He went crazy. He almost came up through the drive hole at me. But that was the most action we saw all day long. We saw tons of gar. But the wind was blowing harder than we expected. The water clarity was yoo-hoo. It was really, really bad. We did not have a very good GRS number two, but the good thing is you get to drop one of your finishes for team of the year. So we are definitely dropping event number two, and we are hoping to hit it hard for event three and event four. But anyway, so on this episode, guys, I was joined by my buddy Matt, who he has a podcast too, and you'll hear about it, the Empty Stringers podcast. And he is someone who has transitioned from kayak to skiff. And in this episode, we kind of go over the pros and cons of kayak and skiff. We go over, you know, what led him to that. And we just talk about redfish. You guys know I can sit here and talk about redfish all day. And he loves catching redfish from the Poland skiff. But anyways, I'm keeping it short and sweet. Um, like I said, I was I was chastised by my, my buddy from bass and bruise paul the jabber hammer he said these were way too long so i'm gonna try to keep it under three and a half minutes so that means jess take it away hey bro staff looking for the ultimate kayaking experience look no further than mariner sales your go-to destination for new canoe kayaks their expert staff can help you find the perfect kayak to fit your needs and preferences they offer a wide range of accessories to make your adventure even better with new canoes, innovative modular design, and Mariner Sales exceptional customer service, you're guaranteed to have a kayaking experience like no other. So why wait? Visit them at Mariner Sales today and start your next adventure. 
Speaking of next adventure, Real Sportswear is introducing their Pro Plus hoodie, the ultimate performance hoodie for active lifestyle. Their hoodie is designed with moisture wicking technology to keep you dry and comfortable during even the most intense workouts. The lightweight, breathable fabric allows for a full range of motion, while the adjustable hood and thumb holes provide added warmth and protection from the elements. And with this sleek, modern design, the Pro Plus hoodie looks as good as it performs. Don't settle for ordinary gear. Upgrade to the Pro Plus hoodie from Real Sportswear today. All right, bro staff, mark your calendars for June 10th. It's time for the Galveston Redfish Series Event 3. This exciting tournament is your chance to compete against some of the best anglers in the region and show off your skills on the beautiful waters of Galveston Bay. With cash prizes and bragging rights on the line, it's an event that you don't want to miss. And with their commitment to responsible angling practices and conservation, you can feel good about supporting a cause while doing what you love. So sign up today for Galveston Redfish Series Event 3 and get ready for an unforgettable day on the water. That's it for me, bro staff. I'm Saltside Jess, and I'll see you on the salt side. Thank you so much, Jess, for all of the info from all of our sponsors guys we got a we got a special guest on today i got my man matt from the empty stringers podcast joining us and matt has he's he's done just about everything so he's kayaker skiff podcaster like this is like chris 2.0 now i mean <laughs> like you're you could be the new guest host if you wanted to be the guest host i mean you and chris uh, have so much in common but matt how you doing today man you doing all right i am i'm great dude i'm glad to be here i appreciate you having me on I, i'm glad to be here too i think we both uh we both had to schedule around sports with the kids and baseball and i almost had oh, yeah. to cancel tonight but luckily the seven and eight year old Astros 10 run ruled the twins to end the season on top. And I was able to get home in time that we could get well, this done. If, if they ended the season on top, then that means that uh, they got to go to the playoffs now. Cause that's, that's what just happened to me. Yeah. We, we start the, well, they have a tournament, so we, okay. we start the tournament on Saturday, but unfortunately I will be fishing in the GRS on Saturday but they they seed it where the number one team I think plays the number six team. Yeah. Um. And not to brag, but the Astros only lost one game all season long, and it was because it's coach pitch, and uh -huh. the normal coach that pitches was not there, and the coach that pitched was kind of horrible. Like I'm not blaming I'm not blaming sure. the loss on any coach. No he names dropped. He was, he was yeah. horrible. And it, and if none of you guys have ever coached coach pitch, that is the most stressful thing I've ever done oh, in yeah. my life as far as as coaching or helping out or you know anything in sports. You know I played baseball forever, but throwing to those kids and you know you throw a good pitch. And then you almost hit them, and yep. then you throw a good pitch, and then they don't swing, and you're like, J just swing at the ball, please, just swing at the good pitches. I don't have that many in me. So I'm the uh, I'm like the de facto scorekeeper uh, for the ball games. I do I run the scoreboard, you know, and uh, 
and I like to create my own little commentary whenever a coach gets on a roll and is like accidentally striking out uh, a bunch of kids on his team, you know, I'm just like, man, this pitcher has some great stuff, man. He's really throwing the heat tonight, you know, Oh, backing him up off the plate, you know, like there's just, it's hilarious. Cause you, you get that, you know, once you hit about, you know, the sixth, seventh batter in the lineup, coach gets on a roll and starts smoking those kids, you know, and you, <laughs> you feel terrible for, uh, for the coach. Cause you know, he's, he's like, you know, trying to coach him from the mound and all that, but it's just, Hey, the heat is the heat. You can't do nothing about it. Yeah, and it, it's stressful for for those of you that have never coached. I uh, I would say get out there and coach, get involved with the kids. If you're not happy with anything going on uh, in your child's sports, go out and volunteer. Be the solution. It is yep. a lot harder than you think. You like, got that right. It is a lot. You're like, why didn't the coach think of this? Well, because the coach is trying to make sure that these two kids aren't killing each other in the dugout. Like, there's so much that goes on when it yep. comes to coaching. But this is not a baseball podcast. This is <laughs> a fishing podcast. And, Matt, man, I've got to ask you the same question I ask everybody that comes on the show. One, I want to know how you got into fishing. Two, I want to know your most memorable fishing memory and then three i want you to tell me about your very first kayak okay okay so i started fishing uh as a when i was really young five or six years old my dad would wake me up early in the morning he would take me out to lake houston we would crappie fish well uh he crappie fished with a cane pole and a cork and a live minnow and uh I thought that was the most boring thing you could ever do in your life. And so I had, I had started seeing, um, you know, back when Roland Martin and Bill Dance and all those guys were like, you know, really popular, started seeing them on the outdoor channels and thought, well, I'm going to hang off the back end of my dad's boat and throw a lure and try to catch some bass. That'll keep me busy, you know? So I started doing that whenever we would go. And uh, my grandparents lived on a, they lived right across the street from a champion paper mill deer lease. And one of the neighbors had, uh, it wasn't a big pond, but it was, I guess it was probably about uh, two acres. And, um, and I had a little crappy John boat with a paddle and uh, I paddled all, I was, I was probably nine when I started doing that. And uh, I did that all the way up until I was, you know, 13 or so, 13 or 14, and paddled all around that that lake in that little uh, John boat and eventually rigged up a trolling motor on it and did, you know, did all that stuff and uh, and loved it, loved the bass fish. And you, you asked me about my most memorable fishing, uh, you know, experience. So we were at my grandparents place was which was also deer camp like across the street was the lease deer camp was over there my uh family big into deer hunting but they did the same like the same version of like the the cork and minnow Mm -hmm. is what they did deer hunting it was the normal feeder uh the feeder goes off twice a day you sit in the stand buck walks out you smoke him right so i i just that's not me i i like the chase I want to stalk a deer through the woods. Like I, so I just got bored of that. And I started when they would go out hunting, I would go fishing was a November afternoon. A cold front had blown in. It was, uh, 
probably upper 40s, wind was blowing, and uh, everybody said, you know, you uh, you should just go hunting with us. Like, you're not going to catch any fish. That cold front's already blown through, and it's miserable out there. And I was like, uh, you know, I made some smart Alec comment about, you know, get, get the cooler ready or, you know, get sharpen the fillet knives or whatever. Right. <laughs> and, uh, so I go out and I went to the deepest hole in that pond, uh, which wasn't that deep. And I was throwing like a, a, that I don't even know if they make them anymore, but like these little Cinco ringed worms. Uh, it was like a Texas rigged, yeah. uh, deal. So I throw it out there. There's a, uh, about a two by two spot where the lily pads break up. And that little spot was like the deepest. Cause I had gone all around the I was gonna pond. Say, you probably know everything about that. Oh pond yeah. And I've been, you know, sticking the paddle down and feeling the bottom everywhere I went to try to figure out how deep it was. And so I knew that that was the deepest spot and I threw it out there and the line just laid across the water. Lent, the wind had started to lay down line just laid across the water I had a bunch of slack in it and I saw the line give that tick, tick. So I reeled down, set the hook, missed it. I was like, man. So I reeled it in as fast as I could, chunk it back out there and it landed. I could have never done it on purpose. You know, it's like one of those things where you, but it landed exactly in the same spot, fell down to the bottom. I let everything happen exactly the way it happened the first time. The line laid down across the water, and I sat and watched the line for about five seconds. Tick, tick. I set the hook, and fight was on. And uh, this fish, you know, the that John boat, I could have picked it up over the top of my head. It was super light aluminum. And uh, it that fish drugged me all over that pond. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have a net. I still don't carry a net. But I, I, I didn't have a net. I didn't have any of that stuff. Uh, I don't know how big the fish is until I get it up to the side of the boat. It's been a crazy fight. Fish is exhausted. I'm exhausted. Uh, I pull him up and I see the head and it's a, you know, I can tell it's a huge bout a bass, biggest bass I'd ever caught. I reached my hand down and grabbed, you know, the, the mouth of that fish with my whole hand and pulled it up. And it was, uh, it ended up being an eight pound, three ounce, uh, bass. And, uh, so, I'm, you know, I was like 14. Uh, mm. So I lose my mind and get on the, you know, run it back to shore, uh, stringer it up, let it, uh, let it sit in the, uh, in the water to, uh, to try to, um, you know, just make sure it was revitalized a little bit. And um, did I just lose my audio? No, you're good. Oh, I must have. A, oh, there we go. Okay. And, uh, and so once I felt like the fish was, you know, healthy, I get it on the four wheeler, which is how I got to the pond from my, my, our, our house right next to my grandparents, drive the four wheeler back to, to the uh, house with the fish, holding the fish with one hand, driving with the other hand. I got nothing to put the fish in, you know, cause I never kept any fish yeah. uh, out of that pond. And so get it back, fill a cooler full of water, put the fish in it. And it's, it's, it's still alive, you know? So mm -hmm. I'm waiting, I'm sitting on the You're front waiting for everybody to get loose. <laughs> you and your pet fish on the porch, waiting for everybody to come home from deer hunting. I mean, every truck that drives by, I'm like, is that them? You know, like uh, just waiting on them to get back. So they, uh, they finally roll in and I'm playing it cool. And, uh, 
you know, asking them how their hunt was, letting them do all the talking, you know, and then finally, just waiting, finally, my old man says, uh, with a smirk on his face, like he knew I didn't catch anything, you know, like he was like, huh, how was it out there fishing? You know, like uh, thinking I froze to death and, you know, didn't catch anything. I'm like, go look in that cooler over there. Then he's like, come on. I said, go, go look in it, you know? So he goes over and looks in the cooler, loses his mind, you know, like what in the hell you got in there? So uh, we ended up uh, getting that fish mounted and uh, it still is hanging on my parents' wall uh, in in their house. But yeah, that was, that was my most memorable, uh, most memorable moment. uh, Did you guys eat it? Uh, I, I can't remember to be, to be honest, what I mean, we did with that fish. The only reason I say that is because you were talking about the cane pole crappie catching and the deer feeder just throwing out there because it sounds like your family is more about, they're more about eating it. Like mm-hmm. let's eat some crappie. Let's eat some deer. Let's make some sausage, which there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. I Not love at all. Some deer sausage, but I could just imagine you bringing a, a big, huge fish in there like, Okay, we're gonna eat that tonight. Like that's gonna yeah. be dinner. They're they're about meat on the table for sure. Yeah. I, I you know, I, I think I was so uh caught up in in making sure the fish made it to the taxidermist or whatever mm-hmm. the case. I don't even know what they what they did with I don't know how anyway. I think I pretty much my, my old man took took the reins from there and uh, you know, they, they got it they got it mounted. So, so yeah, where's the was, mount at? It's a, it's hanging in my parents' uh in my parents' house. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, so cool, it's cool. still there to this day. Um, so yeah, that was my most memorable moment. And then as far as the uh, the kayak fishing, I I was fishing out of like a not a kayak, but a, a like those pontoon looking little bass raiders you could get huh? from Academy. So I had one of those that had a trolling motor on the back of it. I did that for years, and then I started getting. I did that as a, as a young man, like you know, in my teens and twenties, and then. I I just kind of life happened. I have a ton of kids and, uh, you know, all that. And I just didn't get, uh, wasn't really in being able to fish as much as I wanted Mm. to. And then I finally just decided I need to make this a point. I love to do this. I need to get back into it. And someone stole that bass raider out of the back of my truck, trolling motor and all. And I was like, well, I wanted to get a kayak anyway. So I, I, I got a kayak I got a uh, very luxurious Heritage Pro from uh, from uh, Walmart, and uh, it was like a ten foot, you know, that uh, you could just sneeze on and bust a hole in it. But and, but, but uh, out of all the really cheap kayaks out there, like the Heritage or the Heritage Redfish or the Heritage Pro, like that was the best of the cheap ones. I mean. Yep. It's not like really, really horrible thermoform stuff, like or thermoform. Yeah. At least it was, you know, it was decent. I mean, at least you picked a decent one out of cheap. And who the heck steals a bass raider? Like Dude. that is a big boat to steal out of somebody's truck. Stole it out of the back of my truck in in the city, uh, like Heights area. I had it strapped down. They cut the strap and just took off with it. And I'm like, man. I had had that boat for like 15 years. So it, it was in rough shape anyway. So I was like, well, time to move on. You know, you were probably like, Oh, they needed it more than I do. I'm gonna go buy a kayak anyway. 
but don't don't think I didn't look for it when I was out there, you know, fishing on Sheldon and all those places. Like you know, oh, yeah, uh, figured yeah. somebody'd roll up in it. But uh, but yeah, I got the kayak, started uh, kayak fishing, and uh, bass fishing, and um, you know, had a, a buddy Chris that uh, wanted me to go saltwater fishing with him, and I just kept telling him no, uh, and I kept inviting him bass fishing with me, and he kept telling me no. And until eventually, uh, I said, okay, fine, I'll go, you know, and I went and, uh, I really liked it. And I thought, okay, like, I'm going to give this a few more, uh, a few more tries. And Mm -hmm. the thing that, the thing that hooked me about it was the exploration, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the marsh being able to go, oh, look, look, there's, there's so much marshland, like I've got more of it to discover. I'm going to, I need to go again. I need to go again. And then the, and then that just kept leading to more things. I needed a a bigger kayak. I needed a pedal drive. I needed a, you know, this or that. And then, you know, ultimately led to me going, Oh, this dot on the map. I want to go check that out. I need a boat, you know, there you go. So how long did it take from when you got that first heritage to the next upgrade? Well, it was, I guess I bought that heritage in probably, probably 2013. Mm-hmm. I had it for, I probably had it for five years, but that those five years was spent uh, bass fishing and not an every week kind of thing. Yeah. It was a more sporadic, like, oh, I have a random Saturday. Uh, my job was crazy busy. And then in, in 2018, I transitioned careers and went to work for myself. I was in ele- I was an electrician, and then I was in electrical project manager, and then I I was in electrical sales, and then I left that because my buddy and I had started a medical imaging company, and um, we I know that sounds weird because electrician is starting a medical imaging company, but but that's what we did, and and um, it limped along for a few years, and then in 2018, it was finally able to to uh withstand me on the payroll and so uh, my business partner was running it and i i jumped on board to help him expand and um and we did and when that happened i realized like all right i'm my own boss and you start to you're really just working off a to-do list like all right i've got you know some weeks you got 60 hours worth of work to do and some weeks you have 20 it just depends on what and my phone is always on i'm always on call And, uh, so I just thought I'm going to fish and I'm going to fish. And if I, if I, if I get a phone call and have to handle business, I'll stop and handle business, you know? And, uh, and so sometimes that puts me working late into the night to get things done. I probably should have gotten done that morning, but, uh, it's a a balance. The wind was low that morning. So (laughs) yeah, you took the boat out that morning. Yeah. Take advantage of it. So it was about five years before you upgraded. Yeah, upgraded about five years into it, and I got a uh, I got a native. No, uh, sorry, I got a wilderness systems um, attack one twenty. Okay, and I still have that boat. It's my what I call my river boat. Uh, I love that kayak. It is a little on the wide side um, for paddling, but uh, it's a great it's a great boat. And uh, I had that boat for. Well, I still have it, but I used it as my primary fishing rig for a couple of years and then and then bought the native slayer 
And it wasn't long after I got the Slayer that I, I ventured into the, the boat world. So was it just you were, was the, what is it? The, was it the pedal drive Slayer? Yeah. The, so, the Slayer Max. Yeah. So did your, did your curiosity just get the best of you? Like, man, I can get all these places with the kayak now. Imagine how many more places I can go explore if I get something with the motor that's a little bit bigger. I mean, that's exactly it. Yeah. That that's exactly it. I I I knew that I, you know, from the launch points, I spent most of my time looking at the map gauging miles for where I wanted to go and how long it was going to take me. And I thought, man, there there were areas in West Bay particularly that I um, you know, the Bayou Vista area was easy access for me to get down and launch. And I thought, all right, I want to explore everything I can in that, in that neck of the woods. But there were marshes on the South shoreline that I wanted to fish. And it just ate me alive that I, you know, that I couldn't get there from Bayou Vista. I needed to drive around and find a new place to launch and do the whole thing. Or if I wanted to go to Greens or if I wanted to go to Karankawa, um, if I wanted to go all the way down to Chocolate, like I was like, you know, especially Karankawa Greens, um, and then a couple places on the south shoreline, they're kind of landlocked with private land, and yeah, you can't you can't get to them. You know, especially now they they've shut down a lot of just the end of the road kayak launches there on the south side, yep. where there's more and more residential stuff going up, or people trashed the launches that yep. you know some of the landowners were nice enough to just overlook cars parked on the side of the road and things like that i know like eight mile road was one that a lot of people were at there's some close to uh the state park that was down there that yep. people used to be able over by eckerd's bayou people mm -hmm. used to be able to launch there but then people trashed it or showed up banging their music at freaking three o'clock in the morning and yep. stuff got shut down for us kayakers which I mean that I guess that's better for some of the boat guys. It opens up it opens up some of that south shoreline that you can get to you yeah. can get to with a motor. Um I wanted to make a point to talk about earlier when you were talking about like being able to explore and and you know, check out different marshes and everything. And I think it's funny because you also talked about you didn't want to do the um hunting because it wasn't really stalking. It was just like feeder goes off. Here comes the dude, shoot him. Um, that's yeah. one thing I love about redfish and fishing the marsh and fishing the way that we do. It's, it's part exploring, but it's also part like, sen not sensory overload, but your senses are going crazy. Yep. Like you're listening for busting bait. You're looking for just a swirl in the water. You're yep. looking at the shoreline for birds. Like there's so much stuff that just can captivate you while you're out on the water compared to like, I don't see how guys do it, which I mean, it, it may be pretty cool. Like the live scope, the bass fishermen that are fishing live scope now, just like looking at a screen and staring at a screen all day long. It's probably great to catch fish and pretty cool to see your lure. But I think after a while, like, that would lose its effect on me. Like yeah. I, I would rather have going out. I have to scan the whole shoreline. Like yeah. the birds may be in a different spot. 
but we were talking before we started recording. We were finding fish really, really shallow. And on the last episode, you guys heard me talking about finding fish really, really shallow and really, really clear water. Well, the tide went out. My brother went to the same area, and they were, like, not even close to being in the same area they were just three days before. So I think that's what gets me, too, is once you think that you completely have an area figured out, you go out there and you learn that you don't Yep. (laughs) because everything changes and you can't figure out why it changes. Sometimes you're like, okay, moon phase is the same, same time of year, high tide. They should be here. And then you get there and you're like, they are not here. This, this is where they should be. And then you have to search to find them. You have to stalk them. Yep. So the, uh, I, that's why I think it's, Anytime I hear someone talking about like uh, people will talk about a specific spot, you know, and when they say that, usually I'm not talking about like a particular marsh or a particular back. Like I'm talking about when people talk about there's this one spot and it's a spill out of a of a creek or a bayou or something like that. Or it's a you know, it's like pin drop it on the map. I'm like they don't get the redfish game because redfish just don't act like that. I, there were, when the fish were schooling before the front came through and blew Mm -hmm. the water out. So there I had, I had about three or four schools pegged in this way in this back lake. And I could tell you, you know, when we caught a fish that, and they weren't schooling, I could tell you what school they belonged to because they were similar in color they were similar in size. Well, those fish ha- were on shrimp way in the back. That uh, that front came through and blew the water out, and they didn't leave the marsh. They just moved about, you know, probably a, a thousand yards, uh, you know, further out into a different back lake, a different little system, because I caught the same group of fish this morning that I was catching a thousand yards apart, you know, last week. And it's, it's the, you have to, it's all about where the bait is, what they're doing. Those redfish are simple minded creatures, you know, comfort and food. And, uh, if you're going back to the same spot over and over and catching redfish, it's, that does happen, but it's rare. And it's, there's a reason why they're there. Yeah. The the redfish don't live in that spot. They're always moving around a little bit. But I guarantee you there's something about the bait that's in that location yeah. or the incoming tide in that location brings bait this way. The outgoing tide brings bait that way. This structure holds bait. This structure is a great place for the shrimp hatch to happen. Like there's yep. a bunch of different factors on why the fish want to be in that area and like you were just saying, they may want to be in that area when, you know, on a north wind and you're getting the shrimp blown over to that side or the shad blown over to that side. But on a south wind, they may be wanting to be in a completely different area because it really all depends on where the bait is at. I will say, though, like there are certain areas that produce, and I had someone ask this question in the Redfish Network page. They were like, hey, I am consistently on 23, 24, 25-inch fish, 
is this somewhere I should fish for a tournament? Do you think that there's 27, 28 inch fish in this same area? Cause I'm consistently catching 23, 24, 25. And there was about 20 comments on there and half of them were like, yes, keep fishing the area. <laughs> Like there's fish there, there's something to it, and the other half were like, "No, nah, man, you should move on." I mean, usually the 23, 20 inch, 24 inch fish roll together, yada yep. yada yada yada. And I was just sitting there thinking, I was like, "Man, what would my answer be to yeah. to, to a question like that?" And I would say that if you are consistently finding fish in that area but they're 23, 24-inch fish, don't stray too far away from that area, but try to find, you know, try to find some bigger fish in somewhere in closer proximity to where those 23, 24-inch fish are. Now, you don't, like, stay in that marsh system, yeah. but you may need to move around a little bit and, and try to find those bigger fish because a lot of times those tournament fish, you're not going to roll up on a school of 27 and a half. Like, I don't think I've ever yeah. rolled up on a school of those or seen even in pairs. Like, usually when you see them in pairs, they're, you know, 24, 25 inch max. Usually when they start to get to 27, 26, 27, 28, they start to, they start to single off. They yeah. start to not being, you know, with, uh, with other fish that same size. So I also want to say like, it's not that easy to find these 26, 27, it's not 28 yeah. inch fish. Like it's, it's not easy to find those fish. So you need to just get out and explore a little bit. You're on to something. Yeah. If you're catching fish in an area and consistently catching fish in that area, but maybe Look at that area, figure out why those fish are eating there, and try to find an area that sets up similar to that one in the same marsh system and see if you can find some bigger fish uh, in that area. Yeah, it's a, it, I, I think it can be a crapshoot. I mean, I, I will follow general rules of thumb, but those get broken. So if you're, if you're tournament fishing and the, Keep in mind, I am not a tournament slayer. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I can go catch redfish every day of the week, but whether they're going to be tournament studs or not, I don't, I caught one this morning. I caught an eight pound, you know, 27 and three quarter inch fish this morning. Uh, but I caught a 21 inch fish, uh, about four casts before that. Uh, so that breaks all of the rules that I have made for myself in my head, right? If you're in the marsh, you're going to get a little bit of a mixed bag. I've pulled tournament studs uh, out of areas that the day before I caught 23-inch fish. But if you're sticking 23, 24, 25-inch fish, uh, this is just my opinion. If, if you're sticking those fish regularly in a, in a certain marsh system or, or group of back lakes, you should move on. The, those fish are you're going to keep getting a carbon copy of what you've been catching. And if you get lucky and stick a bigger one, great. But I think the chances of that happening are not good. Uh, I think that, you know, tournament guys nowadays are going to find those big fish consistently. A ton of them are going 
uh, deep and they're crank baiting and throwing rattle traps and uh, finding, you know, rock ledges and, and, and they're, they're going at it a whole different kind of way and they're looking for overs. They want those, they want a group of fish that's 30, you know, 31 inches and they're going to find the runt of the litter at the 28 inch mark and bring that guy into weigh in because also fish that redfish up in the marsh that are eating shrimp are going to be lighter. They're going to be slender, uh, more slender fish. You need to go find those fish on shad um, for them to be heavy. Cause they're gorging. They're gorging. They're going to be fatter fish. They're going to weigh more. Um, and that's why I don't, I'm going to do the, uh, the GRS, uh, the last few with my son, we're going to fish the, uh, the, the youth division, um, and let pull him around and, and make him do, uh, make him do all the fish catching. But, uh, the tournament game is something I'm still learning. And, uh, part of the problem for me with it is I have the redfish patterned in the four, I, there are about four or five marshes that I'll generally kind of hop around to. And I have the redfish patterned in those marshes and I feel confident that when I go out there, um, we may not slay them every time, but usually we can produce uh, a few fish from the pattern. As long as I've been on the water and I know what's happening, right? Yeah. To pull myself away from that and go erase all that, go live in deep water go throw all these lures you're you're not uh you haven't thrown since you were bass fishing all that i'm i'm not saying i'm not going to do it because i have the itch to to do to try to do well in the tournament scene but i'm like i know where there's a school of redfish going off right now and here i am crankbaiting you know blind casting it's just it's tough for me to make that transition i wouldn't be able to do it I, yeah. I wouldn't be able to do it, and and I know exactly what you're talking about. There's a there's some people that can fish like the exact same area, the exact same way, every single time. I like getting out and exploring, and it may be to you know our own detriment as a tournament team, but I I feel better knowing that I'm out there searching and and doing what I like to do to catch these fish and, and trying to trying to make my way work and it may be just stubbornness like just just to say oh, i'm gonna make this work like we we're gonna find fish this way we're gonna win this tournament and it, it, it probably is a little too much stubbornness but we'll we'll see how it goes like grs is this weekend by the time this airs it, it will have passed so in the intro to this show you guys will get to hear uh how team paddler's playbook did in in grs but we're talking about one of the main things we, I wanted to talk about with you was just kind of the transition from a kayak to the skiff. I mean, you already kind of told us one of the main reasons was, you know, getting to more water and covering more water. Were there any more big reasons why you wanted to transition from the kayak to the skiff? Yeah. Um, one of the reasons was, you know, my, my, so I have twin boys that are just turned 16. Uh, one of them loves to fish. The other one's a golfer. Um, and then I've got my two little ones. Uh, Benjamin is, is, uh, eight and Nora is five and they both like to fish. And, uh, so we got a place in Bayou Vista. And when we're down there, the, 
I, I like to take them out. I wanted to it, fishing was a me thing, and I I tend to have a lot of me things. You know, like I'm I played in a band for years. I I I love to fish. I I did all these things that were like, you know, this is my thing. It doesn't include the family, and so I thought I've got to figure out a way to incorporate the family into this. And my uh, my goal has been for the past you know two three years as a semi like as a side hustle slash retirement plan is to be a guide and so to do that I, I thought well I need uh, I need the equipment to to make that happen I need to be able to take people out on the water but that's not how it started the the way it started for me was like. Uh, I cannot stand that there's a spot on the map that I that you I, can't get to. I can't get to, and uh, that's ultimately at the core of what did it for me. Now, um, you know, when I got the first skiff, I got like a, a solo skiff, and um, uh, that is it does the job, but it was just a nightmare to fish out of for me. I I just it was couldn't hard to paddle like when you couldn't. Man, look, I had that thing swapping ends on me one time, and that's all it took because I had the six horsepower Tahatsu on yep. there, and I was rolling through Matagorda. And I mean, I had that sucker going, and my paddle came out of the clip. The paddle went in the water, and then the other side was wedged in between that little back part that's flat where you sit yep. and the motor, and I just went like Whoa. a dang helicopter. I didn't fall out of the boat, but the boat just, like, started swapping yeah. in. Like, I must have it, – it was probably, like, once, but it felt like I spun <laughs> ten freaking times. I would have paid to see that. Man, I, I scared the crap out of myself. Like, yep. I did not want to, to be on that thing anymore. It only took that one time because, like, I like going fast, but I just didn't feel awesome in that solo skiff. And, and like I said, it, yeah. was, it was hard to paddle. It was a little bit hard to control – um, I know some guys love them. The solo skiff just was not for me, and it, and it probably ruined me on moving up to a bigger kayak or yeah. a bigger boat or a bigger skiff because I just decided, okay, I'm I'm done with the motors. Let me yeah. let me go back to a pro angler. Like I, I'm going to get out of this thing. Yeah, I realized early on that I that I had made a mistake when I bought the solo skiff because I, I first of all, your reels and all your gear get soaked. Every yeah, time. it's not a dry rod at all. Uh, you get soaked. Your your reels get soaked. I had to I had to do constant maintenance on my reels, and uh, you know it was great for getting you to the spot. But once you got to the spot, you couldn't move the dang thing. I mean, it was like you, it was awkward to paddle. It was you couldn't really pull it. Uh, I guess maybe with a longer pole you could have. It just was uncomfortable to fish off of. And so, now, did you have the fiberglass or the roto motor? I had the roto mold. Uh, okay. I had like the what's the name of the company? Um, I can't even remember the name of it. It's a, a Hoodoo. I had the Hoodoo yeah. Hero uh, okay. Six. Uh, nothing against the product. It's the style of boat yeah. that just didn't fit my my way of fishing. And so I instantly I had one sketchy ride back uh, to to the launch. I'd gone out in winds that were probably not conducive for for that boat. And, uh, 
but it would it would have been fine in a normal boat mm-hmm. and uh and i was like no nah, i'm selling this thing so i sold it i uh you know fed the wife a couple of glasses of wine uh that night and talked her into letting me get a real skiff and uh that's when i got the piranha and uh once i got the piranha and i i had i at that point in time i started to fish a lot regularly i was fishing you know two days a week uh, two mornings, you know, I'd come off the water, I'd launch before daylight, I'd come off the water around noon, I'd flip open the laptop and work till, you know, the kids got home and then put the kids to bed and work another couple hours or whatever. And so that's kind of been my routine. And uh, once you're out there that much, and you start to like, connect a lot of the dots that weren't connecting before. And I started to realize like, I think that like most people think that guides have like this crystal ball. They can, they know what the, you know, they just somehow know all the, exactly where the fish are. No, it's just being out there. Like it's just being out there. I I can tell you from being out there as much as I am, what's going on in any of the three or four marshes in, in the areas I fish and, and where to go there and when to go there, but not because I'm, I know more than anybody else. I just have been there and I've done all the wrong things until you start to figure out the right things. And so I started to think, I love this. And if I ever get in a situation where my, my business doesn't make it, or I I've got to, I've got to switch gears and make an income some other way. I don't want to give this up. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'm going to get my captain's license and just, uh, you know, see if I can go that route. And so that, that's what I ultimately did. I just haven't started running trips yet. Running, um, yeah. well, one thing that, that you were talking about, about guides, like not having a crystal ball or anything. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize too, with guides, the thing about a guide, you and I may think the exact same way. Okay, here's where the fish should be feeding. This is where we're going to go. The decisions that guides make, guides know when to say, okay, we're moving from this area where yep. most normal fishermen, they're like us, like they're, we're just like, all right, we're going to grind this out all day. I'm going to grind this area out until I, find, until I find the fish because I'm here. This is where I picked. I know that they're going to be here, so we're going to grind it out till I find them. Where a guide is quick to, like, all right, we've been here 15 minutes. Nobody's got a bite. We're moving on to the next area. Because I've been yeah. out with guides before, too, and I'm like, man, we're leaving already? Like, we just we just got here. Like, we ain't even hit the shoreline on that side or nothing. And they're like, okay, time to go. we got to find a different spot. Yep. Um, I think that's the big difference between guides and, and people who aren't, like, they know when to leave faster than, than most normal recreational fishermen or even guys that get out there on the water a lot. Because you were talking about when it clicks. And I think over the past two years, it's really clicked for me in really observing what's going on around me and feeling confident in catching redfish. So there's a lot of guys out there that it clicks. Yeah. But with the guides, they know when to pack up and go to the next place where – we may be a little more stubborn because we we want to find fish in the first area that we go to, especially yeah, you, kayak fishermen. 
Oh, like coming for sure. from a kayak background, like you, you it's kind of bred into you that we we gonna grind this out because we can only go three four miles an hour tops. Yeah, and you've only you, you've got so much invested in in that area by yep. the time you get there that you're like, well, uh, if there's a redfish here, I have to go find him because yep. uh, you just don't, you know. And it, it went, to your point about the guides knowing when to move, it's like usually. Uh, they're headed to when to an area with an idea in mind of like I sh- when I get there I should see X Y Z because that's what was going on there last week and when they show up and it's not happening they're like pack it in we're going yeah somewhere. they're 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 on to the the next spot so talk a little bit about do you miss certain things about kayak fishing when you're out on the skiff like. Yeah. Is there any times that you're just like, man, if I just had, you know, if I just had my Slayer right now instead of this skiff, I could do X, Y, Z. Are there times like that? Yeah. Um, you spook, you, it's a catch 22. You spook more fish from the skiff. You, uh, you spook fish because you're higher up and you're reaching for a, you know, a, a rod and reel or you're putting your your push pole in the holder uh any number of things that you're doing from up there on the platform your ability to spook a fish from farther off is greater but your ability to see the fish from far off far off is greater too so there are plenty of times where i'm like look i know the where the fish are if i were by myself in my kayak uh creeping along I could get I I could get these fish to crawl in my pocket if I just would just you know there's things about the skiff that just you're a much bigger presence. Yeah, um, it's a bigger profile, your bigger shadow, your bigger everything. Yeah, that that would probably be the biggest downside, but it, learning to play the conditions in your favor and uh you know the Sabine that I have is a very quiet skiff. It's the no hole slap uh, you know, it's a, it is a sneaky, uh, you know, rig to run up on some redfish. And so it's not, it's not bad, but as far as the cat goes, I loved the simplicity of it. The, Hey, I, I drug it back up on the bank. I washed it off. Um, and, uh, and it was good to go, you know, but the, you, you kind of, uh, trade complexities when you go from one to the other, because, for me, it is much more simple to fish from the skiff. I have less uh, going on. I motor out. I got the power pole button around my neck. I got a push pole in my hands. I got my my pole ready. In the kayak, I was always kind of like, I already got my anchor trolley. Let me trolley it over. Let me anchor down. Let me let me grab, you know, I'll reach behind me and grab this or that. or Oh, I'm using a drift anchor today. I got to drop that down. Or, oh, I, you know... There, to me, there's a lot more moving parts, and I made a lot more mistakes. On, That's surprising on that you say that, because most people will say like the kayak is the more simplistic approach. But, yeah. But now that you're talking about it, I mean, the skiff is probably more simplistic on the water. Yeah. Where the kayak is probably more simplistic with the maintenance and loading and unloading and, and, and everything else. But the skiff is probably, you know, you got more maintenance, you got more things that you could do. You got to run 
you know, water through your motor when you get <laughs> home and, you know, make sure the gas stabilizers in there for the winter or whatever. Like there's more that goes on there, but that makes a lot of sense. Like there's, there's less, there's less stuff to get ready too. Like less I've got to get my black pack ready. I got to get my lures out in front of me that I'm going to use. We're on the skiff. Everything just stays in the skiff the whole time. So yeah. that, that's funny that, that you said the simplicity of the skiff is something that, that you really like compared to kayaking. Cause a lot of kayakers are like, I'm doing it because of the simplicity of it. So that, yeah. that is weird. Yeah. It, it, and that, that was the biggest that's the first shock. time I thought of that. That's the first time I thought about that. That that was the biggest shock that I, that I had when I, when I made the transition is because you, when you think kayak, you do think simple, like, uh, you know, that you're you're paring it down to the basic needs but here's what i found when i would go kayak fishing i've got the kayak loaded in the back of the truck i've got it strapped you know uh an abundance of straps to make sure i'm I'm nice and safe right i've got my rods inside the cab i've got my crate uh probably still strapped down on the kayak or i've got it you know inside the cab I've got my anchor tied off somewhere. It's all, all these parts and pieces. Got are your everywhere, lights, right? you know, you got life yeah. jacket, all that stuff, right? So you get to the launch, you drag your that Slayer was heavy, bro. Like it's it's I still got it. It's it's heavy. I pull it out, you know, drag it to where it needs to go. Then I got to get the crate, go strap it down again. Then I got to get my poles, put it on. So it I, it took me thirty minutes to launch and thirty minutes to load when I had the kayak with the boat. Even when I'm pulling the trailer, like I have it in the in my slip at my I have it in my boat lift at my place in Bayou Vista, but there are times when I trailer it. If I trailer it and I'm going to launch, I mean it's you back in, you the you unhook it and take one hand and shove it off the trailer. Yeah, that's that's it. And tie it up, go park the trailer, hop in it, boom, you're gone. It literally takes 10 minutes or less. So you've cut down your load and unload by so much. And it's just so much simpler, but you're right about the maintenance. Like I'm coming up on the 20 hour mark for the break-in for the Sabine. I've got it on the trailer. Now I'm going to Matagorda um, in it next week. When I come back and get it cleaned up, it's going straight to the shop to do the break-in and I can do the break-in myself, but I need like the, the shop documentation mm-hmm. that it was done properly, you know, for if I ever wanted to resell it. And so I'm taking it down to the boat yard and, and having, uh, having it serviced and it's going to be there for two days, you know, and I'm going to have to drive back and get it. That part is, is worse, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and you, and you got a lot more at stake. I mean, it's a, that first skiff I had the piranha, that prop was just beat to hell. I mean, I, <laughs> I know where everything in West Bay is because I hit it with my prop. You found it. Yeah. And so, you know, you go, You that's learning, you know, the learning curve. And But once you get it down and you're running similar areas, like my prop on my Sabine, knock on wood, is still in perfect working condition with no no uh, dings in it yet. No, and you bring that up. So are you like let's let's hammer it and see what happens or are you more cautious in a skiff because i i'm always on the cautious side for for yeah. almost everything 
Except for, you know, sometimes when I'm paddling in the kayak, I'm just like, well, let's see if I make it over this oyster reef. Oh, nope, I did not make it over the oyster reef. I've left half a pound of uh, uh, poly on that oyster reef, yeah. so let me get out and try to not cut my feet up as I get my kayak off of here. And that's something that you can do in a kayak. You can't necessarily do that in a skiff as far as you know maybe just like okay i'm gonna hammer down and see if i make it over this reef to get to this back like or or can you or or i mean are you are you the type hammer down or are you real cautious well i'll tell you that i uh i i guess the cautious part of me if i am if you see me out running somewhere i've putted through there Okay, so you've you've already been through it. I've already put it through it. Now the the thing that I will get a little dicey on is uh which I did this morning. So I'm a like a a nerd when it comes to the water level. Um I track it uh religiously. I I can if I'm out in any marsh and the water's significantly lower or higher or whatever it's doing, I am constantly checking the Galveston rail bridge MLLW to see what that level is, because then I know, all right, I'm at this at 0.6 at the MLLW. That's what this marsh looks like. I can motor through here or like this morning, I was like, I'm going to get back to this area and I'm going to shut it down. And I may have to pull for two miles before I can get to a place where I can spin up because it was nothing but six to eight inches of water. Now I spun it up in eight inches of water, which I didn't know I could do, but you found out, I found out it will spin up in eight inches of water as long as you're over mud. But that's another thing. If, if I, if I know an area has got a muddy bottom, I'm a lot, I'll be a lot more risky. You know, I had um, my buddy Taylor on the boat this morning and I knew, uh, I've known Taylor forever. Uh, I knew that he was going to have a good time no matter what we did. And I also knew like, if we had to, if we had to crawl out and push this thing off of something that he was down for the cause, he was going to do it. He wasn't like, wasn't like taking somebody that you're, you're like, Oh, this person has to have a good time. And we had to be, so I like pushed it a little too hard this morning. We rolled through, uh, we waited in this back area, got back there. Didn't even think I was going to be able to get back there. Got back there, fished there for two hours while the tide was dropping. So we lost another two inches of water. And uh, the fish were still biting back there, but they had slowed down. And I was like, if we don't get out of here now, we're not. we may not get out of here. So I picked it up and we took off. And uh, we were coming through the last back lake before you hit the deeper canal but it's the shallowest back lake. It's, you know, it, I mean, I was in an inch or two uh, for about 75 yards, just all out 30 miles an hour. And, uh, when you do that, it will, you feel it break traction. Yeah. When you hit a hump or something that throws it off. And I was trying to turn into this canal and it wasn't turning and it i broke free and just started sliding and i thought oh no and i slid uh all the way up you know i tried putting the brakes on brakes don't work on that thing i guess yeah, there, and, there's no brakes on those <laughs> speed skips and so i slid it i slid the nose end uh up into the mud 
on the bank, but not bad. I had to get out and push it off though. And, uh, so we, we were pushing it harder than I normally would have pushed it this morning, but, uh, but you I knew, knew I was dealing with knew, mud. Yeah. And you knew you had someone that was down for that type of activity, like down yeah. for that type of fun. Yeah. I didn't have to put the professional guide hat on and be like, no mistakes today. I'm like, no, let's go make a mistake today. Yeah. Let's, let's go, go see. see if I could push this with somebody down the line because yeah. we're cool. And if you got to get muddy, that's okay. Cause, cause we're friends. Yeah, so, it's like you don't know what you can do until you don't know what you can't do until you run into that wall, right? And I just hadn't been to that wall. I just kept going through there shallower and shallower and shallower and being like, eventually this thing's gonna be bone dry and I can't run through here. And we were pretty close this morning. So So I'm sure one advantage or maybe it's a disadvantage, I don't know, to uh to owning the skiff now where you can take out multiple people. You probably have a lot more friends that want to go fishing with you now compared to when you had a kayak. Because when you have a kayak, if a friend wants to go fishing, you're like, okay, go go buy a kayak. Like, go borrow a kayak and we'll go kayak fishing. So they really have to enjoy doing it. But with the boat, man, they just got to show up with their little cooler and their, you know, maybe one rod. Or, heck, they may just say, I'm going to use your rods if, if that's oh, yeah. fine. So how many more friends, quote, unquote, have you had since you've switched from the kayak to the skiff? Yeah, it's it's been interesting. I mean, I everybody, you know, it's a, it, it's been a cool thing, though, because I, I enjoy uh, sharing the experience with people and taking people out and watching them uh, catch redfish in the way that we do, uh, I it, the uniqueness of that is lost on me because I've done it so many times. But you get somebody out like I had this morning uh, with Taylor, and, and it was a brand new experience for him, and that is fun. Uh, and so Seeing I his excitement. Yeah, that's just so much fun. And so I do have a long list of like I think so. I, I fish on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I'm pretty much booked with just friend fishing until you know june or something like that yeah but that'll all stop whenever i start charging people money to do it right oh yeah yeah like hey you want to come out okay then it'll be 600 bucks for a half day like yeah then that'll all stop real quick like and then i'll have then i'll have days open where i'm begging people to uh to fish with me so you know that's just the nature of the beast there you go. Well, we're running up on an hour, man. I mean, we could probably sit here and talk for another two hours about just kayak fishing, skiff fishing, red fishing. Um, you made the comment just a second ago about, you know, you're so used to it. We are spoiled here in the area that we have with redfish. You know, I was making some posts the other day on Instagram um, of a redfish that I had swimming away and I was a little bit upset because it was over in the marsh in eight inches of water. And I'm like, man, it's a 29 incher. God, where's the, where's the 27 and a half. And I thought to myself, like, you know how spoiled you sound right now that you're catching, uh, you know, 28, 30 inch fish in eight inches of water that you're sight casting. And then I look at some of my Florida friends and stuff and they are pumped about catching a 24-inch fish. They're like, yeah, yep. man, this is we're on some nice fish today. The Elite Kayak Tournament that was last week, I think, over there in Jacksonville, first place in the kayak division was one 
ounce fish. And that was a good fish for that. I mean, a four pound fish is a good fish for that area. You know, a really? 20, yeah. 24, 25, you know, that is, that is a great fish for that area, but it just makes me, you know, guys, if you ever get the chance to go to Louisiana or Texas, like I, I, I don't have to go to Louisiana because I can catch bulls in the marsh and I don't really care to catch a 40 inch bull red in the marsh. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's pretty awesome, but I don't want to, I don't have to do that. But if you ever get the chance to come down to Texas, Louisiana and catch some redfish, like come and do it, hire a guide whenever Matt's got his, you know, booking trips for empty stringers guide service or whatever you decide to call it. Um, go out and check him out and, and get on some of these awesome fish. But speaking of empty stringers, man, tell us about the podcast. Where can we find it? What is the podcast mainly about? I mean, I mentioned earlier that you were a podcaster as well. So just give me, give me the four one one. If that's still a term that people use yeah. on, on the empty stringers podcast. Yeah, man, I, I appreciate that. I uh, uh, I started uh, I started this podcast, the Empty Stringers podcast, and uh, and it's you know you and I have talked about this a little bit. It's you know the medium is you know you cut out everything in the middle, and it's it's me talking into a microphone directly to an audience, um, just like you do uh, a lot of the times, and. Uh, and my goal with the podcast was to carve out a niche for people that uh, like to chase redfish specifically, and that you know, I like I mentioned, I was an electrician for years. Fishing on during a weekday was not a thing that existed, and uh, and so I kind of have a heart for for those folks to help them when it is Saturday, and they're they're headed out, what are they going to look for? You know, I, I want to give them uh, a head start. And so the goal of the podcast was every time I sit down in front of the mic, uh, I need to have been out on the water that week and I need to talk about what I saw. What were the fish doing? Where were they? What were they feeding on? What was the pattern in a particular area? Because those patterns will mimic each other from from area to area not always though i mean i I am learning as i go and i'm learning that like sometimes what's happening in west bay isn't happening in east bay sometimes what's happening in east bay isn't happening in freeport you know it's uh it's different but i think that overall uh you know i'm giving trying to give people that head start to go all right this is what's been going on uh everyone can think about uh, my podcast is, Hey, my buddy, Matt was out fishing this week and, uh, he, he told me what was going on out there. So this is what I'm going to do. And this is where I'm going to start that that's kind of been my heart. And, uh, you know, so I wanted to make short podcasts and, you know, do, uh, do the best I could to just relay the information. And then as we've gone on, I've ended up talking about my harebrained theories about redfish and why they do (laughs) what they do. But, uh, you know, it really comes from, people like uh like you and Carrie Beeson and the Bite Me guys that have carved out the path and just shown someone like me that this is doable and that there's an audience for it. You know, if you guys hadn't existed, uh I don't think I would have ever picked up the microphone. So 
Well, uh, it, it probably makes you a better fisherman as well because when you start talking about what you're seeing out there, you start putting together more and more of um, just information that you may have let pass. Like yep. when you're talking about all the birds out there, I never noticed when certain birds were, were feeding until yeah. I heard it on your show. And then I'm like, damn, I'm looking at the bird. Like I'm looking at the birds a lot more after I listen to your show. And I'm like, he's sure right. It is just seagulls right now. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not seeing any other birds on schools. It's just the seagulls are on schools right now. So it's putting together a little bit more and more. And, and for me, I know for me, the more I talk about catching redfish, what I'm seeing out there, talking with other people, getting their opinion on stuff, the more I'm learning from it. Yeah. Um, now, with your show, it's a little bit different. On, on my show, it's more like we're doing um, – some information. I mean, it's informational. It's entertaining. I'm doing more conversations with people and things like that. But I think your show is shorter. It's easily digestible. Not like you can take in everything that you're saying on a 30 minute, 40 minute drive somewhere. And I think in your intro, your intro perfectly describes like what the show is. Cause I, I don't want to mess it up. Cause I don't know the exact intro, but you say like, Think of it as your weekly fishing report of what I'm seeing from on top of the polling platform. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. You talk about what you're seeing out there and it can be taken like, even though you're saying it, you know, West Bay may not be hitting just like that in East Bay, but sooner or later you're going to run into that in East Bay. Yeah. You know, it, it's going to happen. It may not be happening that week or, you know, two weeks from now, but you're going to run across that same conditions. And it's good to hear that from people who are out on the water as much as you are catching fish. Like, yeah. I wish I would be able to do a weekly show about what I caught last week. But but it's like every two weeks, sometimes every three weeks, maybe once a month when I actually get out on the water. So I got to get on this show and interview people like you who get out there and fish every week. Well, and I mean, I, I'm, I think that, uh, what you've done with your, with your platform is, uh, is special in the space. Like, I think it, you've created a, a, a special community and, you know, my, my goal and what I wanted to do, like you mentioned my intro, I'm every time I make the podcast, I'm listening to my intro again myself because i need to reground myself every time and go this is what your podcast is about you're about to tell everybody what you saw on the polling platform i can't let myself venture too far outside of that because uh that's kind of been my my focus what i want to drive towards and i i do go for those shorter episodes i want someone to get in the truck and have about a 30 40 minute drive and i want i want them to finish the podcast in one sitting uh, kind of thing, but I'm, I've got so much to learn on all of this stuff. Like the, I mean, even, even me logging on to this, um, this thing that you stream yard. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, it, I was like an 84 year old trying to work a VCR, you know? And so I'm, I've got so much to learn on all of it. And the thing I love about our community of not just, um, not just, you know, podcasters in the fishing industry, but, but just fishermen in general, um, it's full of a bunch of really nice people that, uh, 
will support you and you know cheer for you and I've just really enjoyed getting to getting to meet a lot of folks and uh I hope that soon you know we can uh we can get you up on the bow of the skiff and uh and you know we'll Let's come do, do it. A, we'll come do an episode on the my podcast with you. Let's do it. I am down to get on there where I don't have to paddle and we can go check out multiple places. I'm actually whenever you were talking about some places in West Bay and you know uh Freeport area and everything like that uh I'm about to show you a map because there's one marsh that I want to see if you've ever been in. We'll pull that up when we get done recording this. But where can they find the Empty Stringers podcast? Are you on YouTube? Are you on uh, Spotify? Like, where where are you at? Yeah, so I'm, I'm only in two places, uh, at least on purpose right now, uh, and that's to track uh, data as best mm-hmm. I can. I'm on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, those are the two places. I will eventually branch out to all of them. Uh, that's part of my whole, uh, you know, 84 year old in the VCR thing. <laughs> I, I'm learning, uh, that whole deal. And, but yeah, Spotify and Apple podcast, the empty stringers podcast. And, uh, you'll see, you'll see me up there on the platform in the what picture. Day, so. What day do you drop a new episode? Uh, every Thursday. Every yeah, Thursday. So okay. 5 a.m. on Thursday, uh, I am usually headed to the boat ramp and that's what time the podcast drops for that reason. Yeah. There you go. So guys, get out there and check it out. See, he I'm on t- Tuesday. You're on Thursday. You can get two episodes of, of great podcasts and a lot of Redfish talk. Just get the Paddler's Playbook and the Empty Stringers podcast. But guys, we're going to get out of here. If you don't already, follow the Paddler's Playbook on Instagram, Facebook. Um, I'm starting to do a few TikToks, but not really. I just I can't get into TikTok. I don't. I don't know. It's different, man. Yeah, it's different. I I can't get into it. I've been seeing a lot of growth from you guys, especially on the East Coast. Like, I'm sending some bro staff stickers out to Washington, and I'm sending some bro staff stickers all the way up to Maine. So, like, opposite ends of the country. So, thank you guys for listening. Matt, you got anything else before we get out of here, man? Man, just thank you so much for, for, uh, for carving out the time and letting me be on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem, man. Us podcasters got to stick together. That's it. All right. We'll see you guys later. Peace.